All right, we're talking about Elijah. We're on actually message number eight. Let me just review just real briefly to catch us up. Uh, three and a half years of drought have happened in Israel, which has led to famine and all kinds of difficulties and problems and hardships, uh, even death. Ahab and Jezebel have led Israel into the worship of false gods. They've led them into that and all kinds of sin, and God has pronounced judgment. Now, when you think about God's judgment, oftentimes we think about the, the heavy hand or, or the corrective nature of it, which is true. But you know what? Judgment, the purpose of judgment is this, to make things right. And in order for things to be made right, then evil or bad has to be put down. But God's intent is not just to put down the evil. His intent is so that we will correct course and come back to the good. Isn't that, isn't that the purpose of judgment? My, my parents kind of taught me that. The reason they corrected me was not because they were just correcting bad behavior, but they wanted me to learn to do the right thing. And they had all kinds of ways to persuade. Anyway. <laughs> Elijah calls a showdown on Mount Carmel, which we talked about that a, a couple weeks ago. A, a showdown on Mount Carmel with the 450 prophets of Baal. And the terms were, the God who answers by fire, he is God. So they go through all their antics over here, the 450 prophets, and Baal remains silent throughout the whole day. I mean, six hours of prayers and dances and incantations and all the things that they could do as pagan heathen worshipers. They tried to provoke Baal to do, they even went to the extreme of cutting themselves and doing all that kind of thing. And they tried to provoke Baal to answer but Baal remained silent because there was no voice, no word, no one heard their prayer. And God sends out this fireball in response to Elijah's prayer. God sends this lightning bolt from heaven and he answers this simple prayer that Elijah prays. He answers by fire and licks up the whole sacrifice. And Israel ex exclaims at the top of their voice, the Lord, He is God. So there's a spectacular display of God's presence and power as He intervenes. God answers by fire. And according to God's law, this is kind of maybe disturbing to us as modern readers, but, but according to God's law, if you lead the people into idolatry, then you bring the death penalty upon yourself. So according to God's law, Elijah's like, if we're going to make Yahweh our God, then we're going to follow his law that he gave to Moses. And his law said that if you lead people in this direction, death is your penalty. So Elijah does that. He takes the 450 prophets down to the, to the Jezreel Valley, executes them there by the river, and it's a, it's a tough day. Then Elijah returns back to the mountain. He prays, and God sends the rain. We talked about that last week, I believe. When Elijah prayed, God sent rain. Elijah prayed, God always responded, it seemed like. And so the drought is over. And then we have this fabulous detail in the story that Elijah, he girds up his loins, you know, he gets his, his skirt all up and he goes and he runs and he runs ahead of Ahab's chariot. That's pretty good, pretty good pace right there. He ran ahead of Ahab's, Ahab's chariot and they run back to Jezreel, back to Ahab's palace. And there Ahab will inform Jezebel, of all that happened on Mount Carmel, which brings us to our text. All right, we're going to pick up reading in verse number one. I want to read a lengthy text, and I need you to stand up with me just so you can kind of keep your attention. I'm going to read a lengthy text because I'm not going to be able to get to all the details, but I want you to hear it in, in the service this morning. I want, I want to talk to you from the subject of the gentle whisper. All right, let's start in verse number one. Now, our story is about to take an unexpected turn. Okay, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have necessarily wrote this into the story. Something you thought would never have happened to someone like Elijah, it, it happens. It happens. All right, verse number one. Read with me, if you will. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. And then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he, Elijah, saw that, he arose and ran for his life. Say it ain't so. Hmm. And he went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. And he said, it is enough. 
Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And then he looked, and there by his head was a cake baked on coals and a, and a jar of water. So he ate and drank, and he lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came back the second time and touched him and, and, and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights. That's a pretty good energy bar right there, isn't it? <laughs> Forty days and forty nights, as far as Horeb, the mountain of God, or Mount Sinai. And there he went into a cave and spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, God said to Elijah, What are you doing here, Elijah? So Elijah responds and he says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left and they seek to take my life then he said god said go out and stand on the mountain before the lord and behold the lord passed by and a great strong wind tore into the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces before the lord but the lord was not in the wind and after the wind an earthquake but the lord was not in the earthquake and after the earthquake a fire but the lord was not in the fire and after the fire, a still, small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entrance of the cave. And suddenly, the same voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, anoint Hazael as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimsha, as king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Japhat, of abel you shall anoint as prophet in your place. It shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Lord, we thank you for your word. We just pray that you would bless it. We bless your people. Lord, we, we love your people. We love your word. And I pray that the two would become one and you'd help us to walk this out and flesh this out. We thank you, Lord, that even in our darkest hours, you are there with us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 You may be seated again. Kind of a twist here, isn't it? Kind of a turn in the story, maybe, maybe one that was unexpected. I kind of see like a miniature or a microcosm of the world here in this Elijah story, in this Elijah and Israel story. We've got God, God who, who wants to get people's attention, who wants people to, to do the right thing, to live in peace and joy and righteousness, and he wants to get the people's attention, but, but he's very patient, and he's very faithful, and he works with them, and over even generations of time, even though people tend to wax worse and worse and worse and get worse and go further away, he remains patient, and he keeps wooing, and he keeps drawing, trying to get their attention, maybe with some calamity, because when they won't listen to the voice, God often sends the circumstance. And he sends oftentimes difficult judgments and difficult circumstances and plagues and pestilence and things like that. And so God, and, and as, a, as an extreme measure because of the extreme sickness to cure their disease, God trying to get their attention has to send this drought. I almost feel it hurting his heart to do it. So we've got God in this story. We've got God in our story. We've got Elijah here. Elijah wants to do the right thing. He's trying to lead people in the right thing. He wants to do the right thing himself. He wants to hear the word of the Lord and obey the word of the Lord. He wants to, to do what God's will is for his life and for Israel. Elijah's there and he wants to do the right thing, but Elijah has been villainized in a society that he's trying to help. Kind of reminds me of Jesus. You know, the Bible says that Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. But, but what did the world do to Jesus? It rejected him and ended up crucifying him. 
Because see, there's something about the world. The world is so evil and so bad, it can't handle good. So when Jesus showed up in all the goodness of God, it was such a stark comparison and such a convicting revelation of how they should live and how God wants them to live that the only way we know how to handle good is to make fun of it, mock it, and stomp it out in this world. That's what happens. That's what's trying to happen to Elijah now. Isn't it difficult when you try to do the right thing, but you don't get good results? That's a a hard thing. Elijah's living a hard life. He's a rugged man. But we're going to see now that ruggedness gets ripped down to a very tender heart. Then you got Jezebel. Jezebel is just pure evil. Next week's story will, will kind of show us more about Jezebel's evil if we get to it next week. Jezebel is just pure evil. She's a manipulator. She's a control freak. She has an agenda. She has a a brand new deal she wants to give Israel. You know what I'm talking about? She wants to take this whole society and revolutionize it. And in order for her to have her way, she has to like stomp out and snuff out all the old ways. Jezebel is nothing but pure evil. She will do anything to get her way. And she does in Israel. And Jezebel has Ahab's heart and authority right in the palm of her hands. Ahab is the king, but as somebody said in the movie one time, Jezebel's the neck that turns the head. And she's pure evil. Ahab is a weak leader. Ahab's a politician. He's a, he's a leader who is supposed to lead the people in the right way and in the right thing, into righteousness, But he's a weak man. He is easily controlled. He's easily swayed by the opinions of other people. He is absolutely at the mercy of his wife Jezebel. In fact, God warned the kings about that. He warned Israel about that. That not to take foreign wives, not to take pagan wives, so to speak. Because as soon as you take those pagan wives into your household and marry them, they will turn you away from the Lord your God. That's exactly what happened with Ahab. Ahab has become a premier politician who doesn't give right and wrong answers, yes and no answers, but he straddles the fence and tries to waver between two opinions. Does that sound familiar? Sounds like a bunch of Democrats and Republicans, don't it? Sounds like our world, really, in a lot of ways. A lot of Ahabs out there. And they're controlled by the Jezebels of the world or the love of money, one or the other. And sometimes they both go hand in hand. So we got Ahab. And then we got the people. The people hear Elijah, they're not sure what to do with him. They seem to be convicted on the mountain in this grand demonstration of power, but but they they waver because Ahab and Jezebel are strong. And their threats are not idle. They're not hollow. And the people are wavering whether or not to follow Ahab and Jezebel, whether or not to follow Baal, or whether or not to follow God. And Elijah is telling us the truth. We know he's telling us the truth. But you know what? It's so hard to follow the truth, and it's going to cost us so much. I don't, what's going to happen in the short run? And everybody can't see anything past the short run, so they can't see the long run of things. All they can think about is what's going to happen to me today. Get the people. And people almost always follow leadership. Ahab is held fully, 100% responsible. And if you keep reading the story of 1 Kings, he gets his. Takes a while because God's patient with him, but he gets it. But this is a microcosm. This is kind of our world as well. God's in there. Uh, Believers are there fighting. There's evil fighting against us. We've got weak leadership that we're hoping to trust and hoping to have confidence in, but they, they continue to lead us down the wrong direction. And we've got to take a stand and follow the right. A little microcosm here. You see all that happening? Isn't it amazing how the Bible just has a relevant... I mean, it's written thousands of years ago, but it has a relevant message for you right where you live. Isn't that amazing to me? You ought to read it sometime. It'll, it'll help you out. <laughs> so, something I want, want, want to say. Just acknowledge this. I think you already know it, but let's, let's just kind of... Not to depress you, but it's just reality. Life is not easy. You know that? Can we just acknowledge that? I mean, it's not easy, no matter what side of the fence, whether you're a heathen or whether you're a believer. It's certainly maybe even more difficult if you're a believer. The world is not an easy place to live in. All these dynamics, what we just talked about, other things happening, forces, 
evil spirits, sin, and all the, all the like are on the attack. Life is not easy at all. It's not easy, especially to live for Christ in this day and age or in any day and age, really. Add to it, we've got all of our human suffering. We've got all the things that, that loss has brought to us. Loss from the sense of, of maybe job and economic loss, from the loss of loved ones and all the difficulties that, that plague our heart. It really compounds on us. And pain and loss are something that we all have in common. There's not a one of us in here that hadn't had to taste that bitter pill of loss and pain and suffering. We have physical maladies. We have all kinds of physical issues. And the older you get, and it seems like the more difficult it gets. You know what I'm talking about? We've got all these emotional issues and baggages, and, and our heart just doesn't seem to, to work right. And we, we, we feel things that we have emotional struggles. Then pile that on top of all the regrets of all the past and all the mistakes and all the sin and all the bad choices. And we've got to pack that up in our suitcase and carry that with us everywhere we go. Life's tough now can be kind of difficult. And then you throw in a couple kids. Oh, Lord, have mercy. <laughs> then you throw in job stress and a job you may not even like, but you have to go to it because of responsibilities and obligations. You got all the financial burdens that pile up on top of it. It's a wonder we aren't more cynical than we are. It really is, only by God's grace. But that's, that's kind of where we live, isn't it? Hmm. Back to our story. Finish this sentence for me. Let's, let's say we didn't have any of this story. We didn't know all the events of Mount Carmel, the fire and then the rain, the fire of judgment, de declaring that God is Lord and he alone is God. The rain, the blessing of God has returned. Finish this statement. And Ahab told Jezebel. Finish that for me. How should it read? How should it have gone after all the things that's happened? How should the next phrase be? What should it be? Ahab told Jezebel, what should it be? Get, we, we, you got to go back to the side. And you, 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 in fact, I done called your daddy. He's waiting on you. Or he could, he could have even been strong, but, but a little kinder said, Hey, honey, you know I love you. But there was fire on that hill today. And we're going to serve God now in this house. And all that stuff you've been doing, I know you think you're doing right, but Baal ain't real. we got to change. That, that would have maybe been, and he told Jezebel, things have got to change in this house today. That, that would have maybe been an appropriate conversation. But instead, it seems that he runs to Jezebel like a little kid to his mama to say, let me tell you what Elijah did to your prophets today. You know, he's a weak man. He, he really is. He's got his strengths, but this weakness is going to be his downfall. Let, let me, I'm, I'm going to kind of go through here and just talk about a few words here and just kind of maybe share some personal stuff with you and all that kind of stuff and some of my struggles in all this. And maybe, maybe it'll, it'll touch some of where you live. Expectations. Elijah feels that all of this has happened should spark revival and reformation. I mean, wouldn't you, didn't you feel like that? Man, this is, this is a turning point. This is where the, story, the hero has come. He's slain the dragon, and boom, happily ever after. That's what you hope, huh? That's what the movies tell us. But instead of a reforma reformation and a revival, it provokes a revolt. Hmm. You know, when, with expectations, some tricky ground. It really is some hard ground to walk on because when we serve God and we pray and we do right things, we expect good things to come from it, don't we? I mean, we, we, are, we are taught to pray, to believe and receive. That's the right thing. I mean, Jesus said that. Ask and you shall receive. So, so when we get our hopes and expectations going in a certain direction, it's important for us to have faith that God's going to do something and he's going to turn something around for good, at least eventually. Isn't that a right thing to do? But so oftentimes, our expectations are not met. And can we just be real? Isn't that the truth? And we're told to keep the faith, but yet I got to keep the faith when things aren't turning out the way I hoped. 
We talked a little bit a couple weeks ago about disappointment. That's a real thing that we deal with. This, this idea of, of our expectations are not met. Here's something I, I've got to throw out to you. And it's something I've struggled with a ton because I, you know, I pray for a lot of people to get healed. And I've seen a lot of wonderful miracles that God has done. But I, I, can, I can just confess to you that I, I prayed for more people that didn't get healed than did get healed. That, that's, that's a tough, tough thing for me. Come on, God, we're, we're trying. We, we need this bad. We need this breakthrough so bad. And then sometimes it is either delayed until we even forget about it. Or the moment's passed. It's hard for us to keep the faith but leave the results to God. That's a hard thing. Do you struggle? You've got to believe and hope but not try to control the outcome. And do I have any control freaks in here? Would anybody give a witness to that at all? Anybody say amen and hallelujah. Anybody point at anybody? No, don't point at nobody because they, they will work on you. <laughs> We struggle because that's part of our independence as, as humans and part of our responsibility is that we hope for good outcomes. But we have to learn to leave those outcomes to God. And it's hard to maintain faith and not control outcomes. And not try to manipulate. And if you're not careful, you'll get the spirit of Jezebel on you and you start working the system, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm just saying that expectations are difficult to deal with. It's hard to walk by faith and then just trust God to do what he thinks is best. I think Jesus taught us to pray that way, didn't he? Not my will, but yours to be done. That's become Christian ease or Christian lingo. But that is a profound way to live your life. That where you're seeking for the will of God, even if it's contrary to the will of me. It's a difficult thing. In fact, there's always a cross right behind that prayer. You know what I'm talking about? Here's maybe a verse that helps us a little bit. Dealing with our expectations. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. This is, this is a blessing that God is, or Paul is writing here. He's blessing God. He says, you are the God who when you answer, you answer better than I asked. Now granted, you know what? I've learned that that better may be far different than what I ask. Because here's something you've got to know about God. He is far too loving to be unkind. And he's far too wise to just do what you ask. <laughs> you hear me? And I thank you, Jesus, not for the prayers you answered, but I thank you, Jesus, for the prayers you did not answer, the people we did not marry, the jobs we did not take, all of those kind of things. Aren't you thankful that even though it was way different than when you verbalized it out, it came back to you better than what you imagined? <laughs> but it's hard to struggle with that. So Paul says God is able to do exceedingly abundantly. That's like a Bible way to say it. that's going to be real good. <laughs> Above what you ask for. So God heal them. But he may have took them on to glory. It wasn't what I asked. But for that believer, you know what? It was exceedingly abundantly better. I don't know, but you, that, that can kind of help you that when you entrust your cares to God, his response will be better than what you intended. It may take a little time to work out. Let's learn to deal with our expectations because dealing with all that sometimes leads to disappointment. I believe Elijah is gravely disappointed right here. He's disappointed in himself. He's disappointed in the people. He's disappointed in Ahab. And disappointment is real. Disappointment is not necessarily an emotion. Disappointment is like a place where your mind goes. And sometimes it gets trapped. It's real. It's got to be addressed. 
And it's got to be addressed at the deepest level of your soul. And only God can touch that place. And how you handle your disappointments will determine on how you move forward in God and in life. How you handle your disappointments will determine whether or not you get stuck. Have you ever, heard, have you ever met somebody who got stuck? I mean, they went through a terrible breakdown season. It was terrible. Things fell apart and they haven't got over it yet. Hmm. And here's the thing about disappointment. The person that disappoints me the most is me. You know what I'm talking about? I can promise you there ain't nobody in this world or in this service will ever be harder on me than I'm on myself. I kind of was taught to do that. I was taught some of that self-discipline and self-motivation, but I found out sometimes that can work against me. <laughs> I can be really hard on myself. And sometimes I get stuck in my own disappointment. And I found out that oftentimes when I make mistakes and have failures, and I've had a bunch of them, when I make my mistakes and have my failures, I found out that God forgave me, but the hardest thing I have a trouble with is forgiving myself. You know what I'm talking about? Disappointment's real. We talk a lot about that. But disappointment then leads to discouragement. Look at, look at that word. Doug, is it on the screen right there? Disappointment leads to discouragement. Do I have that on there? Is discouragement the next word right there? I just want you to see the word. Do I have it? I don't know if I put it on there or not. I didn't? Okay. Listen. Just listen. Discouragement. Just picture it in your mind. Discourage. Some events and happenings in life just suck the courage right out of you. It seems to happen to Elijah right here. And I can promise you, if it happens to God's man of faith and power like this, it can happen to any of us. And we all have watched the Superman movies, haven't we? We've all watched Superman where he, he, if he gets around, I mean, you can shoot him with a gun, you can run over him with a tank, you can throw him off a building. It don't make any difference. Superman can handle it. But there's one thing that if he touches it, what happened? What is that one thing? Anybody remember that? If he touches that kryptonite, he just melts and he becomes weak as water, as my grandma would say. Some situations that happen in life are like that kryptonite. They just literally suck the life out. And the world and life is like this big machine sometimes. It just sucks out your very soul. You know what I'm talking about? And it discards encourages you where at, at one time you were ready to face it at one time you could handle it at one time you could you could go forward but but that situation or whatever that circumstance or, or that mental state that hits you it takes the courage and it sucks it right out of you that's why we are taught in the scriptures so much the world is a terrible place it's difficult it's hard it will suck this courage right out that's why we're told in the body of christ that we should encourage one another we should encourage. See, so there's these two words, discourage and encourage. Discourage subtracts from me. Encourage adds to me. Encur do you realize that the, your words have the power to do either one of those? Your thoughts have the power to do either one of those. And, and that, that, just, just to focus on the encourage, that you and I have the opportunity and the power, and I believe the responsibility, that when our brothers and sisters are down, that we say things. I'm not talking about f uh, flattery and nothing like that. I'm not talking about any hollow things. I'm talking about for real things that love would provoke. For real things that would cause courage to go right into that man. It would cause courage to go right into that heart. You hear me? That's why when I read certain things and I hear about certain things believers say to one another and, they, and they, they, they fight against the kingdom and they fight against each other. And I'm like, Lord, what's happening? Are we not on the same team? Holy cow. And then people wonder why their families aren't saved and why they aren't banging the door down at the church. Because you've been spending the last so many days tearing it all up, tearing it all down, discouraging everything. When you're called to encourage, you better be careful what you say. It does matter. Spouses, it matters how you speak to each other. You, you know what it's like to leave somebody's presence and be dis. In fact, that's what we call it. You diss me. <laughs> that's what we say in Memphis anyway. I don't know. Man. 
But we also know what it feels like. Man, I just like to be around him. That girl is a breath of fresh air. Her smile just lights up the room. You know what I'm talking about. I live with somebody like that. <laughs> I'm for real. Mm -hmm. And she's like that all the time, except when she's not. Anyway, <laughs> but now it's... <laughs> But, but no, I mean, it's wonderful to live with somebody who is actually on your side. <laughs> so Elijah gets to a breaking point. You ever been there? Elijah just, I mean, our friend here, he, he, just, he just breaks. He snaps. <laughs> Pressure can do that to you, can't it? You know, they talk about it, you know, it makes good motivational speeches that, you know, it's pressure that takes a, a piece of coal and, and the pressure is what turns it into a diamond. But pressure is also what causes a bridge to collapse. Elijah breaks. Our friend snaps. He, he can't take it anymore. He, he's, he's done. And, and right here, it says that fear, it shows us, fear and frustration absolutely hijack his mind. Fear. He says, Elijah arose and ran for his life. Now, I want to submit something to you. This is my conjecture, so you, you, you take it another direction if you want to. But was he afraid of Jezebel? Well, it's possible, but I, I don't think so. I mean, I, later we see him calling fire down on these soldiers, you know, and I, I, don't, I don't know that he was afraid of Jezebel. I, I want to submit this. I think he was afraid that nothing was going to change. Nothing was going to change. None of this worked. I've labored and toiled all these three and a half years. I've suffered through all of this violence and all this nonsense that we've had to go through that just had to, the people wouldn't soften their hearts before God, so we all had to go through it. And none of this mattered. And Elijah breaks under the frustration of it all. And it's like, I, I thought I did everything right, but I can tell you right now, because of the king's actions and Jezebel's words, nothing is going to change. You, you ever done that? You felt like you've done everything that you could do, done everything right even. I mean, maybe even some of it was, thus says the Lord, and you walked it out and did it, and then next thing you know, it doesn't turn out the way it's supposed to. Elijah's right there. Frustration has gripped him now. The fear that nothing is going to change. And the, the, the dirty secret of all of this is, for another 130 years, Israel still doesn't come out of idolatry. Still doesn't. More judgments are coming. And then the Assyrians are going to come in 722 B.C. Take them off. It's going to be bad. Hmm. Nothing will change. Now, fear and frustration. Let, let, let's look at this progression real quick. Fear comes to you. Frustration comes to you. It gets in your mind. It rattles around like a BB in a boxcar. That fear, boom, boom, boom. Man, it just plagues your mind. And you play that movie over and over. That frustration over. And you don't know what I'm talking about. I mean the movie. You know what's playing tonight at 6 o'clock? That movie. You know what's playing tonight at 7 o'clock? That movie. You know what's playing tonight when I go to bed? That movie. That movie in my head of all the things that could, I shoulda, coulda, woulda, I wish they would have, and the fear and frustration that nothing will change, it just rattles in your mind, and then from your mind, somehow or another, it drops right down into your heart, into your soul, and it becomes a part of the fabric of who you are, and you become bitter, and you become frustrated, and you want to run, and that crawls from your mind to your heart, and all of a sudden, that fear and frustration hit your feet. And when that fear and frustration get in your feet, you run, baby. Oh, I'm not saying you're going to leave. There's a whole lot of people that stayed, but they're still running. Oh, some people run and they leave. He ran. Elijah ran. He was serious about running too now. I'm going to show you a map right here. Just, just show you where he's at. Bring my map up. He's up here in Mount Carmel in Jezreel, up in the northern part of Israel. You see him up there? That's that top circle. That's Mount Carmel. I know you can't read those little letters and all that kind of thing. 
But then he runs to Beersheba, which is in Judah. Oh boy, ran for 60 miles. That's pretty good. That's a pretty good run, isn't it? Then it says later in the story that he goes to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, which is another 150 miles from his assignment up in the north. You see what I'm talking about? He had running. He was serious about getting away. This, this is Mount Sinai. What happened in Mount Sinai? Anybody know what happened in Mount Sinai? It's one of the most important places in the Old Testament. What was it? That's where Moses met God. That's called the mountain of God. It's also called Horeb. It's also called Sinai. It's also called the mountain of God. We see it called that in this, this text right here. And he runs this 200 plus miles. It took him a long time to get there now. This is not like a weekend journey. It's just, this, he's going about five weeks here. Five, six weeks on this run. I, I want you to see it went from his mind. It got in his heart. And then that running got in his feet. And he ran. Verse 4. But he, Elijah himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now he got to Beersheba. He got 60 miles away. He's in Judah now. He's in a whole different part of the country. The south side. He didn't go to the south side. You know what I'm saying? He went a day's journey into the wilderness. Came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die. Why? I think we, Jonah did that too, didn't he? I'm going to tell you, it's not as easy to serve God as we hope for, really. I'm telling you, this kingdom's not for sissies. He prayed that he might die, and he said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You know, the translation of that is, I quit. This is my resignation letter right here. In the wilderness of Beersheba. Dear God. You can say it in a different way. Dear God. I did my best. I thought I did what you said. It didn't work. I'm sorry. I quit. E. For I'm no better than my father's. Did you hear what he said right there? I'm no better. I thought I was going to be the one to turn it all around. I thought I was going to turn this whole family around. I thought I was going to bring the people back to God. But it turns out I failed too. I thought I was going to be the one that finished all my education and all that kind of stuff happened. I was going to be the first one in my family to finish God. And I had to go to work. I was going to be the one in my family that didn't go through a divorce. I was going to be the one there that absolutely rode this thing out and I had a forever love and we were going to do it. And next thing you know, you're paying $2,500 to your lawyer. I'm no better than the folks that came before me. It's a dark place now. This ain't, this is, I'm sorry, this is not a hallelujah sermon. Y'all can get hallelujah to pumpkin patch. It'll be all right. Turn it around. The power, the fire, the rain. What would it take? Because that's all I got. I'm no better than my father's. Now, two personal stories kind of come, come to mind. One, one is very personal. I'll leave all the details out. But I was living in Columbus, Ohio. Going to school at the time, working full time as well. And I'd, I'd worked with my dad as his associate pastor for like eight years, something like that. I think I was about 20, whew, six, seven, I, the, the years run together, but I think I was about 20, 24, 5, 6, 7, 8, something like that, you know what I'm talking about. I was in my basement, my, my folks were going through a divorce, and it was not, it was a terrible season. And, you know, I was raised in the home of a pastor, and you would think that would be a great, glorious place. But our house wasn't a real nice deal. It's, it's, our family's all made reconciliation over all this, and we all tell the testimony. 
But life where we grew up was pretty hostile, you know, it was pretty rough. There wasn't a whole lot of harmony in our home. It, it sounds odd, but it, it was just what it was. Folks went through, split up. I mean, I'm, I'm 20-something years old, 26, 7 years old. I'm walking up my steps in my basement. That's where my study little place was and all that kind of thing. That's my little cave. I went there. I was walking up these dark brown painted wood steps into my basement. It was just all open right here and it had that little wedge that comes down where the wall is and these steps were open right here. And I'm walking up those stairs and this dark voice spoke to me and it said, I got your daddy. I'm coming for you next. Every hair on my body stood up. I'm like, what in the world? And I started doing the preacher thing. No, you're not. In Jesus' name, I rebuke you and all that kind of stuff. I'm coming for you. Because you're no better than your father. I rocked along. Things went well. I had a lot of success. A few years later, many years later, 15 or so years later, I find myself in a very similar situation. I was the one that would never go through a divorce. Never, ever. Not, not even going to think about it. Didn't even allow the word in our house. I'm sitting in front of an attorney now. I'm going through what I said I would never go through. This voice spoke that that same voice that talked 15 years ago going up those stairs i hadn't heard that voice like that in a long time and sitting there going through the darkest season in hell of my life that voice said i got you you know better than your fathers i i can't convey to you in words where my soul went that, that almost buried me. And I don't mean that metaphorically. I'm, I'm, talking, about, I'm, I'm talking about darkness hit over me. And, and I, I, I kind of feel what I know this boy's going through right here is what I'm saying. I, you've probably heard something similar to that in, in your own life, that you've gone through all this chaos and, and you, you've seen it. And you said, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm not going to be bound by that alcohol. I'm not going to be bound by that divorce. I'm going to take care of my business and my kids. And, all. and then the next thing you know, the train is off the tracks, rolling down the ravine. And you hope everybody survives. You know what I'm talking about? That's what he hears. And then that voice comes and says, gotcha. Through God's mercy and grace, he healed and we recovered. All parties involved, thank God. Later, later, years later, I went to minister to a place. Thought some good folks and some other kind of folks there too. You know what I'm talking about? Thought I could turn it around. It had a long, rough history. I'm going to turn this thing around, boy. I, I, can, I can do it. I can do it. I, I know what to do. I know how to do it. God, you're going to help me do it. And then the next thing I know, I became another link in the chain. And I couldn't turn it around. In fact, they drove me so crazy, I almost quit. Again. You know what I'm talking about? It's terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever give God a resignation letter? I mean, I, I just don't even, don't even raise your hand. Everybody looks straight ahead at me. How many of you just said, I just don't like this job. I'm quitting today. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm done. I'm all. And then you look at that car note right there. And then, uh, and then you look at this house note. And then you look at them kids and you can't go nowhere. I mean, is, is, is there anybody but me that's just ever wanted to take out the trash and not come back? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, just keep looking. Come on. I mean, just don't, just look. Everybody just laugh and act like, he's talking to somebody. I know he's talking to somebody. <laughs> we get that frustration down in our soul, don't we? Mm-hmm. Not you, baby. <laughs> That's another life I'm talking about. <laughs> Here, he's on the run. And I want you to see the tenderness of God. Look at this. Elijah is not in a good place. He's not in a good way. 
And the tenderness of God comes to him and God sends an angel to feed him and comfort him. Now you think God would send an angel to scold him and slap him in the back of the head and say, boy, get up. What's wrong with you? What are you doing over here? You're 150 miles from where you're supposed to be. You think, because that's the picture we have of God sometimes, that he's this killjoy with this big stick and waiting on me to mess up and bam, crash. And preachers preach like that too now. Because they're so interested in you doing the right thing, they don't think you can do the right thing without them being mean and beating you with a stick. But look at God. He teaches us how to preach to people who are in crisis. He, he comes and he feeds them. He comes and he speaks to them. He says, you know what you need? You need to rest and you need to eat this little angel food cake right here. You know, everybody needs a little angel food cake every now and then. It'll help you, it'll help you out. A little pound cake, it'll help you out, Warner Ernie. <laughs> Two different times God brings him this angel food cake and this cup of water. Two different times. And you, you know what I, I found out right here? Your greatest revelation of God often comes in your darkest moments. It really does. It really does. I wish I didn't have to go to those dark moments. And maybe you don't have to to learn. But that's where I found him. Verse 8. He arose, ate, and drank. And he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights as far as Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, the, the 40 days is a clue. 40 is a clue. Whenever you see 40, it's always a number of testing. Israel was in the wilderness for how many? 40 years. Moses was on the mountain 40 days. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days, right? So this 40 is a clue that, that Elijah is under extreme test. This is a season of testing in this man's life. And the word of the Lord comes to him. The voice of God speaks to him and he says this. What are you doing here, Elijah? How many of you know whenever God asks you a question, it's not because he really needs an answer? God says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Is, did God not know he was there? Did God not know he was supposed to be up in, in Jezreel and Carmel? Did God not know his assignment? What are you doing here, Elijah? He asked him that two times. Elijah's response was the same. Both times. He says, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel forsaken your covenant, tore down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they seek to take my life. Now, that was his answer. I'm here because nothing worked and I'm all alone. I'm all by myself. I'm the only one in that church that really loves you, Jesus. <laughs> Anybody ever felt like that? Here's a real big problem. Let's just address it on the glance right here. The problem of loneliness. Now, we've talked about solitude at the brook. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. Because solitude is where you go to focus on God and you get good stuff. Loneliness is where you go and there ain't good stuff there. He is in a lonely place. He has gone into a dark cave. And that's a problem. And I found out. When you get loneliness in your heart, you can be in a room full of people and still be by yourself. You know what I'm talking about? Out of all God's creation, he goes through all these days and he says, it's good. It's good. And then one day he says, it's very good. But then he looks at Adam. And he tells him, there's something that's just not good for you, Adam. And this is before Eve. He looks at Adam and he says, it's not good for you to be, what's that, what's the last word? Alone. It's not good for you to be alone. You know, that's what this, this corona season has, has caused a lot of that to happen in our world today. A lot of loneliness, a lot of people locked up in their houses, locked up in, the, you know, some even locked up by themselves. A lot of loneliness is pervasive in our society. And it always has been, but it's been magnified much much in his last season there's a real problem with it's not good for people to be alone I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you something about coming together as believers one of the major benefits you get as believers even if you just sit there and look at the back of somebody's head one of the major there's a lot of benefits but there's, here's another one 
One of the major things you get is that you know that you're not trying to serve God alone. And that's why Paul would say, in the Hebrews writer would say, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as some are practicing. Because it's not good for you to be alone in your faith even. And you say, me and Jesus got a good thing going and we can watch it on Facebook and we can have our own little worship. I can watch it on the way to work and all that kind of stuff. I'm going to tell you, honey, that dog won't hunt very long. You need to look at somebody with skin pressed over them and say, hey, we're on the same team. I'm not by myself. And that's a fearful thing that all of us pastors are experiencing right now. There's a lot of sheep are not coming back. And guess which ones the wolves get? Mm-hmm. I had a buddy who used to say this. All the, he said, the banana that leaves the bunch gets peeled. <laughs> it, loneliness is a real problem. God even spoke it from the beginning. All right, I'm close with this. These four great, great manifestations happen, okay? God s- sends this strong wind like a tornado that hits that mountainside and rocks go flying in the air all over the place. But he said God wasn't in that wind. And then the mountain begins to shake and the rocks begin to tear apart and all this dramatic stuff happens. It says it was shaken, but God wasn't in it. And then this fire comes and this blazing ball of fire begins to swirl around all outside the cave. And it says that God was not in that fire. But then he spoke with this gentle whisper. Your, Your Bible may say still small voice. He spoke with this still small voice. And you know what it says about Elijah right there? He, he heard it. He heard it. It was a miracle. In his darkest moment, even though his mind was clouded with all kinds of confusion, all kinds of fear, all kinds of frustration, in his darkest moment, he heard it. He heard that gentle whisper. Now, that, that still small voice or that gentle whisper, let, let me ask you this question right here. What has to happen for you to hear a whisper? It's got to be quiet, first of all, right? And then what do you have to do? You've got to draw close, don't you? You've got to get a little closer, because if I'm talking loud, you can hear me back there on the back window. But if if I'm going to talk real low, you're going to have to come closer. So what had to happen in order for Elijah to hear that whisper is he had to get his heart back in sync. He had to draw close to God and he found out that God was right there waiting on him. And it was the whisper of God that saved this man's life. And with that whisper came a refocus. He he got everything, his eyes got back off of himself because that's what all these kind of dark seasons, they take us and turn us inward. Nobody cares, woe is me, all that kind of stuff that happens in us. We all go through that stuff. But the whisper refocused him, and God said in that whisper, Elijah, you're not by yourself. There's 7,000 people in Israel that you don't know, you've never met, you've never seen. There's 7,000 people I've got that have the same convictions as you and love me just like you do. And with that whisper also came new direction. He taught him to go anoint these two kings. He taught him to go anoint Elisha, which is going to be one of the greatest blessings of his whole life. Train him up to be a prophet. Listen to me. It was the whisper of God that led him out of the cave and placed him before kings again. It was that whisper. Let me close with this, the second close. Okay. I think I go with about three or four, right? Are you running? Are you running? I I, want to give Elijah a little bit of credit here. Elijah was running. But you know what? Elijah actually ran to the right place. Because I, I know a lot of people that run and they run slap dab in the wrong direction to the wrong place. But if you're going to run, at least run to the right place. He was in a bad way, but he ran to a good place. He ran to what the scripture calls the mountain of God. He's running. He's dark. He's in the Beersheba wilderness. I don't even know what that's like. I've been through some of those hills, but I'm not sure what it was like because he experienced it in a whole different way than I would have because it was a dark, dark place for him. And then he got on his 
sandals and ran all the way to the mountain of God. He, he literally ran to God. He still got an attitude when he gets there. He's still dark when he gets there. He's still confused when he gets there. He's still fearful. He's still frustrated. He talks about it. But at least you can take all that bad attitude, and if you get in the right place, you can come out in a better way. He ran to God. Now, I mentioned this before. Your greatest revelation of God often comes at your darkest hour. Here's what you learn. I think Elijah learned this. I've learned this in my dark places. That God loves you. God loves you even when you are down. Wasn't that profound that God visited him like that? Even when he resigned? <laughs> that God comes to you even when you run. Isn't that, wasn't that amazing? He, he was running from all of that. And you know who was running? God was running right with him. Where are we going, Elijah? Where are we going, man? I'm with you. I found that out to be true about God now. I went to some crazy places and I woke up and he was right there. <laughs> that God comforts you even when you refuse to be comforted. He speaks to you even when you don't want to listen. He has plans for you even after you quit. You ever tried to quit a job and the guy said, yeah, I hear you. Okay, um, I need you to go out there and fix them two things. Well, maybe I just quit. No, I, I know you just quit. It's okay, but uh, I'll tell you what, I need you to do this. So what are we going to do on Tuesday? You ever, ever had somebody treat you like that? They just won't let you quit. God's like that. He said, no, no, no. Okay, I'll take your resignation. All right, you're hired again. <laughs> you may have to go through a little season of stuff. Something else you learn about God. He remains faithful even when you're unfaithful. Have you learned that? We talked about new direction. God calls you out of the cave by putting you back to work. Calling you back to your responsibilities. You know, that's, that's probably what's kept us from falling apart as it were. Is that we just keep getting reminded about our responsibilities. Because if we don't do it, if we don't take care of these kids, if we don't pay for this house, if we don't take care of our spouse, if we don't do these things at the job, ain't nobody going to do it. And I'm just going to tell you, your responsibilities are huge. They are huge to keep you going in the right direction. And that's what he gives Elijah. He says, you got some more stuff to do, boy. Let's get back to work. You think about that. Because see, what darkness wants you to do, the dark mind and all the confusion, it says, I need some time off. Okay, you've had 40 days, get back to work. You went on vacation, that's cool, that's good, go back to work. Look at somebody say, get back to work. I, I mean, your health, your mental health, your faith, everything is contingent on you going back to your responsibilities and doing what God called you to do in the first place. And you wouldn't think that. You'd think God would pamper him and say, okay, it's time for you to go through six months of therapy, and then you've got to go back to Bible school, and then you've got to go do this, and in five years we'll, we'll talk. That's kind of how we operate. God loves you. It's a miracle he comes to the cave. And God will join you in your cave. But not to live there with you. Because that's what we kind of want. I just want to curl up in my ball and let God and everybody just kind of go away. And I'll just be here by myself and I'll just do my thing. But God comes to the cave, not to join you in the cave, but to take you by the hand and say, hey, it's, it's time to come out. It's time to come out of all this darkness. And let's get back to work together. You hear me? Lord, help us. Help us. We can all relate to this in many different ways, many different seasons of our life. We can all relate to it. And I, I pray for all of us, no matter where, we're at, where we are. We may not even be in a dark season, but for all of us, Lord, I pray you'd help us to hear your gentle whisper. Because your, vo your voice contains the words of life, the words of hope, and the words of peace.
I pray, shepherd of our soul, that you would speak to our hearts. You bring peace where there's confusion. You bring life where death is creeping in. You bring light to all the darkness. Speak, God. Bring new direction for us. For us personally, Lord, for our families, for our jobs. And Lord, that, that new direction maybe just be a rekindling of, of a passion. It maybe just be a rekindling of a relationship or a desire or calling. Give us your direction. Speak to us. Help us.